Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to have to look at your word. We ask that you guide and lead us into what you'd have us to see from this psalm. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, this psalm is a, basically one of history, of Jewish history. So Psalm 81, we're going to read the whole psalm and then we'll start discussing it. To the chief musician upon the Gittith, a psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud unto God our, our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, O Jacob. Take a, take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel and pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast days. For this was a statute of Israel and a law of God of Jacob. This he order, ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden and his hands were delivered from the pots. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto you, O Israel, if you will hearken unto me. There shall be no strange gods in, in, be in you, neither shall you worship any strange god. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken unto my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my way. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest wheat of the wheat and with the honey of the rock, should I have satisfied you. All right. So this is kind of, so we look at this and we're, we're going to look at this psalm in a, completely here. Sing aloud unto God our strength. This word for sing is to ring out with joy. And sometimes I think as I watch people sing praises for God, you know, I, I've seen them on TV and everything, and there's no smile on their face, there's no joy on their face. And it's like, why are you singing? You know, your you're, singing is supposed to be joyful. It should be happy. Now, there are songs, songs of kind of remorse and sadness, but you know, God's songs are not that way. And you can look at people sometimes and just know there's no joy in their heart at all. There's just no, no happiness. And he says, sing aloud. And this is a loud, ringing, joyful sound. And if we can't be joyful around God, we've got a problem. He, he forgives us of our iniquities. He gives us life. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. And sometimes you look at some Christians and... It looks like they've been eating lemons all their life. They have no, they have no expression of joy whatsoever. You know, they're they're just just sour and sad. And 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 God is saying, sing aloud unto the Lord your strength. I like to keep time with music. I'm always patting my. You're always patting your foot now. Mm -hmm. You always have a smile on your face too. Yeah, you know, and then sometimes I'm. Even and then he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And this joyful noise is a, a, it's described in the Hebrew as a war cry, a shout of joy, a shout of victory. 
when you've won the victory and all of a sudden that shout goes up. And this is the picture that I have, you know, if you've ever been around a stadium or in a stadium watching a, a ball game and something good happens and, you know, you don't even have to be in the stadium to know something, if you're close by, to know something good has happened because all of a sudden this roar goes up and you know that somebody's done something, something that the crowd enjoyed. And this is what he's saying. Make a joyful, loud song and be in victory shout. Think about this. The church in its joyful praise of God, you know, if we were actually praising God the way that he describes us to praise him, our neighbors would know that there's something that they're missing. This is important that we get this. I've been, I went to a Promise Keepers event one time, 30 or 40,000 men in the stadium, mm. all singing for God. Mm. You know, and it was just, I'm sure it could be heard outside because it was loud singing that was going on. You know, but it was just wonderful, the idea, do people know that we're joyful? Do they know we're worshiping God? There was a march on Washington, and I think you were still kids. But she probably, you probably remember it. And all these men, it started back in the back, one word, Jesus. And it actually was like a wave through this crowd of men as they began repeating the name Jesus till all of them were saying it in accord. Whoa, did that sound good. All right, verse 2. Take a psalm. And bring forth the, the tambourine, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. You know, so he's saying, take a song, a, take a song out there, and bring a tambourine and a pleasant harp and the psaltery. And we think that the psaltery is some kind of form of a guitar or a harp or a lute you know, of that nature. They don't really know what a psaltery is. But they do believe that it's a four or five stringed instrument similar to a guitar. Psalms and see the different instruments that uh, they use for singing and praising God. And, and there's always people in the church that don't like instruments being brought into the, into the... It's just amazing the instruments that he's talking about. Bring the cymbals, the loud cymbals, the loud crashing drums, the guitars, the harps. You know, when David put together the music for the temple, and you start looking at his instruments, it's almost like he put an entire orchestra in there. And I've seen and heard churches on TV that are big enough that they have orchestras playing with them. And it's fun. It's fun to listen to that as long as they're playing their instruments for God and for his glory and not for their own glory. Verse 3. <laughs> it sounds so funny in the King James. Blow up the trumpets in the new moon. <laughs> and it, it, new moon and we almost got a new moon. And it really, really in the Hebrew it says make a blast with the trumpets, a loud, <laughs> loud signal with the trumpets in the new moon. And the new moon every month at the beginning of the month was a new moon for the, for the Jews because they did a 28 week, a 28 day month. Make so, a what? 20, huh? Make a what in Hebrew? Blast. Blast. A loud, a loud sound. So that every beginning of the month for the Jews was a new moon celebration. And we just read this in Numbers 28 where God told them every new moon or every month you were to make a special offering. Now remember, if you were at the 
numbers class, we talked about how they were to offer a lamb in the morning and the evening. And on the new moon, they would offer a, two bullocks, a ram, and seven sheep. <laughs> every new moon and every feast day that came along, they had to order, uh, offer those 10 animals. So here he's talking about on the new moon, a blast of the trumpet and literally the shofar, the ram's horn, that they would announce, this is the new moon, come, come, come and worship. And so we see him saying, on the new moons, and then he says, in the time appointed and our solemn feast days. And there were three feasts where everybody were, was to come from wherever they lived and go to Jerusalem for. And that's what he's referring to. On the solemn feast, when you come, blast the, blast the shofar. And the shofar so, so in Hebrew, even in Israel today, is still blasted, even though they don't have a sacrifice to, to make. I wish we had one here in the church. I love the sound of a shofar. Why don't you play your tambourine? Remind me to get it before he starts singing. I have to get up there and get behind the pulpit. Thank you, though. Bruce? It's too bad we couldn't have a choir. Well, we only have 24 people in the whole church. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah. Are you, are you a quartet? <laughs> I, I told somebody, I hum. And this lady's looking at me. I said, honey, I can't sing, so I just hum. The Lord said, make a joyful sound. And you are. I tried to shut up. Uh-uh, don't you do it. Verse 4. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of God unto Jacob. The whole idea of the trumpet sounding before the new moon and the, and the feast days. And again, and Wednesday when we're studying, uh, it's kind of interesting because when we're studying numbers, this is right now, this is what we're talking about. The new moon and the celebrations of the, of the feast days. And it's a statute. It's God told them they were to do this. And once they get their temple back, this is the stuff that Israel wants to do. They want to have the sacrifice morning and night. And on the, at the beginning of every month, they want to have these sacrifices that God told them to have. And the sacrifices on the, on the feast days. And this is, Jesus fulfilled all these sacrifices, and yet the Jews are wanting to reinstitute all of these. Which is why when they build that temple, and, and the Antichrist helps them get it built, they'll be worshiping in a wrong way because it's already been fulfilled. Uh, verse 5. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went through, out through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I, that I did not understand. So this is like when, when it's talking about when Joseph first went down, didn't know what's going on. God had already ordained that this was going to happen. And this is, this is one of those things that's hard for us to understand. We talked about predestination and election a little bit before we started. God has already ordained things that we don't necessarily understand or would think that we want. But we look at something like happened to Joseph. Okay. Joseph at any moment could have said, God, this makes no sense. This is really stupid. I, I was honoring you. You said I'm going to be, you know, you showed me that I was, my brothers were going to bow down to me and that I was going to be in charge. And here I am, a slave in, in, in Egypt. And then a little later, when, just when he thought, you know, the world couldn't get any worse, you know, he's, he's being raised up in the slave. He's being, then he gets accused of rape and gets sent to prison. 
Yeah. It had to be so degrading for him because he was so dedicated to his beliefs. Well, everything about it, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's got this dream and vision that God has shown him that he's going to be, he's going to be ruling over his brothers for all practical purposes, and he spends 13 years getting worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how many of us in 17 years would have given up on God? You know, and this is something we need to think about because sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we get going and go, God, you, you know, you've lied to me. You're not, you're not showing me any blessing. You're not giving me anything good. And we begin to think very negatively, God, and turn away from him. Joseph very clearly stayed faithful with God for 13 years. He didn't have a Bible to, to read. He did not. All he had was the stories that he had heard as a young man about God. And he stayed faithful to God for 13 hard years, getting turned into a slave, starting to see his life come together as he's in charge of Potiphar's house and then being accused of rape, which he did not do, and getting sent to prison. You know, and then getting as far as you can be, you know, being, being in charge of the prison is better than not being in charge of the prison, but you know, it's, it still wasn't a good place to be. And then from that, from about as low as you could possibly go, he gets promoted all the way to the top. But he, he, there is no way he saw that coming. When he interpreted the dream for the butler and the, and the baker, his only hope really was that maybe they'll get me out of this prison and I can maybe go back home. You know, but his hope was not to be made number two man of, of uh, Egypt. His hope was maybe God will finally deliver me and get me out of out of this, and then I can find my way back home. He had to be so confused. I would have, you got to have been. Just take the confusion, step back, and trust God, because it's all you've got. But, you know, this is what keeps us at times, is when we put our trust in God and say, God, I may not understand what you're doing, but you are going to make something good out of it. <laughs> Daniel, take it out, you know, Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were royal blood. They were princes. And now they're going into captivity to be the servants of a king that they didn't want to be with in the first place mm -hmm. and be trained in Babylonian customs, which are contrary to the Israelite customs. And yet God raised them up. Now, most of it, I think, was because of Daniel's faithfulness and Daniel being raised up. Because he, he kind of drugged them along with him as he, you know, hey, hey King, I get these other guys that, you know, they'll make good, <laughs> good leaders. And he kept, getting, he kept getting them promoted. But even in, you think about that, how would you look at that? You're being drugged off to be basically a slave. You know, you're, 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 you're going to be trained and educated, but you're a slave. You know, we, look at, we look at Jonah, and, and Jonah was told to do something that made no sense to him. Go to, the, go to the, enemies, the enemy of Israel's capital and tell them to repent so that, you know, or they're going to be destroyed. It's no wonder that he ran the other direction. Right. He wanted them destroyed. He's going, okay, I'm going to run the other way and God, God won't be able to get their message to them. You know, and God would get the message to them. And we've talked about this. God will always get the message to them. If we don't do it and we were called to do it, God will find somebody else or he'll make us do it anyway, as he did with Jonah. But 
we want to be careful in all of this. God has ordained things that may or may not seem right to us and may seem hard to us. You wanted to say something, Annie? Okay. All we need to do is be willing to give into God's plan and know that he has a reason for what he's doing and that he has a that he will make it for somebody's good. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had Daniel not been there with the words we use today Daniel got saved. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar got saved mm -hmm. because of Daniel. And without him having been there, that just wouldn't have happened. And quite possibly Cyrus. And Yeah. So. Darius seemed to be a pretty good relationship with him too. Yeah. So we look at this and say, you know, and Daniel is a good example. You know, he was, everything looked bad, but Nebuchadnezzar apparently became turned to God. Darius turned to God. Cyrus turned to God. And if Daniel hadn't been in that place to be raised up as a leader, who knows what would have happened? Esther, you know, Esther is quite an interesting character. You know, to go, to go into a beauty contest, to be made a, a concubine at the worst, you know, or the queen at the best, because none of those girls left. All the girls in the contest were, were sent to the concubine chamber after they were rejected by, by Ahasuerus. So when she went into this contest, she was making a commitment to stay at the palace to be a concubine, if nothing else. So this is a powerful thing that, that, that she went into. Uh, not knowing. And we see it all through the scriptures how people do things that could, if God wasn't in it, would have been very interesting thing to be looking so, at. What's her uncle's name? Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai. Mordecai. And she's doing everything. God didn't tell her. He told Malachi, Mordecai. And she's trusting Mordecai that it's God talking to him and doing it. Mm -hmm. It's what a lady. Yep. Verse 6, I removed his shoulder from the burden and his hands were delivered from the pots. And this is talking about Israel. They were taken out of slavery. And God is saying, I did this. <laughs> I did this for you. you know, can you imagine we're singing, you know, some of these psalms when we look at, we want to remember, these were the songs they sang in praise of God. Very different from our kind of hymns that we sing. But even in some ways not so different. In many of our hymns, we are singing the history of the church, the history of what God has done. Here they sang the history of what God has done. And they're singing in this song. psalm is all about the history of what God has done for them. It says he's removed them, he's delivered them. Seven, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of the thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. We don't know. It's, I think it's poetic in this one. But he says, you cried, I delivered you. Because you think about when God called Moses, he says, the people are crying out. And, the, and Moses was to be their deliverer. But God actually was their deliverer. But he used Moses and sent them. He says, he answered them from the secret place of thunder. And that, I think he's talking about the power that he went through in the ten plagues. 
the attack of the, on the gods of his Egypt. And we've talked about that back when we talked about the, the we were in e, the Exodus. The ten plagues, each one of those plagues attacked one, if not four or five, of the Egyptian gods. <coughs> totally destroyed Egypt's economy. Totally destroyed the faith of their people because their gods were beat up. And they delivered, and he delivered his people. They crossed the Red Sea and the waters of Meribah. Does anybody remember the st story about the waters of Meribah? Right after they crossed the Red Sea, they were thirsty. And God gave them, and, and they got to this water place, and the water was bitter. bitter. God told Moses, does anybody remember what God told Moses to do? This stick, the wood in the water, to get rid of the bitterness. It was a picture of the cross being placed into the situation to remove the bitterness. Okay, there are so many pictures of the cross and of Jesus all through the Old Testament, especially the wandering of the wilderness. And Meribah was that time when God was lifted up and he says, we're going to put the cross into this situation and the waters will be purified and be, be no longer bitter. Oh, we talked about that way back in the Exodus class, yes. Oh, Pastor, now you wouldn't think I'm bad. Okay. Bad, bad, bad. But until I started studying like I study now, and I didn't do this for years. I mean, I read the Bible, but I did not. About, uh, I didn't see Jesus as much in the Old Testament then as I see him now. I see him in everything I read. Yeah. I mean, it's just... <coughs> Just Loretta, there. he can tell you, this morning, we talked about it. Me too. I didn't see the Christophany of the Bible, of all the places he was, and now, like you said. Yeah, it's just there. I mean, I don't have to think or... Well, once you start seeing him there, you start seeing him everywhere. But it takes a little bit of sometimes. Sometimes it takes that kickstart of somebody to saying, "This is a picture of Jesus. This is a picture." And then, and then your mind starts starting to look for uh -huh. all the pictures of Jesus. In um, Kings, there's a story of the the school of the prophets saying their building is too small and they and actually too strict. They didn't like Elijah's. <laughs> Uh, teaching on them, but they're going and they're going to chop wood. And in the middle of chopping the wood, the head comes off of the axe and goes into the into the Jordan. And they go, it's borrowed. <laughs> the axe head's borrowed. You know, this is a pretty big deal. It, uh, iron axe heads are expensive mm -hmm. in their day. And so he goes in, and do you know? You remember? I don't know if you remember a story, but how did he get the axe head to float? He threw wood into it. He put the cross into the Jordan River, the dirty, muddy, dirt, dirty river, and up floated the axe head, representing hum humanity and all of, the, all, of, all of that, coming up out of the sin and, and, and muck to be picked up. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about a picture of Jesus in just four or five verses that most people miss out completely, you've got a great story about how the cross again, the wood, and God, all over in the Old Testament, God uses the wood in a situation. He throws a stick into the, in the, in the, poison, in the pot that has got the poison in it, and, and the cross takes the poison out of the, out of the pot, and it's no more death in the pot. They can eat the, they can eat the, the beans that they were growing, uh, uh, cooking. <laughs> you know, all of these places where the cross is seen clearly, well, clearly to us because we're looking back, 
But they didn't understand it at that time. And many, many, many people that are reading it don't understand it even today, that the, the, all that wood being thrown into these things is a picture of the cross taking away bitterness, taking away the poison, lifting something up out of the, the dirty muck and mire that it's, that it's encrusted into. You know, and we see the cross everywhere in the scriptures. It's amazing to see how God has done all of this. And we overlook it so often. And you're right, sometimes you spend years just overlooking all these pictures of Jesus in the, in the Old Testament. You know, Daniel was a picture of Jesus to, to Nebuchadnezzar and to Darius. Uh, Joseph's a great picture of Jesus. You know, and, and Daniel and Joseph are the two, only two people in the Bible that nothing negative is said about them in the scriptures. I don't think they were perfect men, but it was just God wanted the picture of him so strong in them that he did not let anything negative come out. You know, just the faithfulness of Joseph through all those troubles we talked about, Daniel through all the troubles he went through. You know, and the great thing about jo uh, Daniel, we read when Darius is tricked into making this law. Why did they trick it? Because the, these all these leaders were looking at Daniel and saying, is there anything that we can use against him? And it was amazing that they couldn't. They were just plain jealous. Too. Well, they were jealous, but you've got to think, though, how many people can have their life put under the microscope by, by others and not have something found to make, charging, uh, not to make a charge against? Not a whole lot of people have that clean a life to be able to, you know, especially politicians. I was going to say not Washington. <laughs> you know, well, not even just Washington, but politicians in general usually have something because when you get powerful, you think you can get away with things because you're just that powerful. You know, well, I know, you know who I am. I can just do what I want. And Daniel had never fallen into that thought process. And so... All of this that goes on is so important. Verse 8, Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto you. O Israel, if you would hearken unto me. God is saying, Hear, listen to me. If you would just listen. And oftentimes he says that to us. O my child, would you just listen? I have something important to tell you. And oftentimes we do not listen. We, we, we're stubborn. We, we, we don't bow our knees. And he says, if you will listen to me, there shall be no strange God be in you, neither shall you worship any strange God. If we're listening to God, there won't be idolatry in us. There won't be any neg negative things happening to us. When we get in trouble... And we can all look at it. The times we get in trouble and really disobey God is the times we're not in the Word of God, the time we're not in prayer, the time we're not spending time with His people because we're making room for Satan at that point in time. When we are concentrating on God, that is not the time that we're sinning. Now, we can be in church and be sinning because we're not concentrating on God. Right. We might even be reading our Bible and not really paying attention to it and, and, and fall into sin. But if we are truly listening and seeking to God, that is not a time that we're going to find ourselves sinning. Because our mind is focused on God. Our mind and attitude is, is, sit, is looking at 
God and we're walking with him. And we will find that when the more we're following God in a, in a good, solid foundation, the less time we're going to spend making bad decisions. Our bad decisions come when we try to do what we think is good and when we try to do our own thing and get away from God a little bit. And yeah, <laughs> our own thinking, and we get going out, and we we make mistakes, and we and we're doing what we want to do, and God is saying, "Come to me, listen to me, obey me," and when we do that, there's not going to be those problems. Verse ten: I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. I you know this fill means to satiate. But God is saying, come to me. Look at me for what you want. So often we try to do our own thing and then wonder why we're not happy. Why we've made mistakes. Why, why bad things have happened. And God's saying, just open wide and I will fill your mouth. Loretta? I have often wondered, why does the God always say to the people, I am the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt? I mean... Why, how, how am I going to ask the question that I want to know? Oh. The, the reason he keeps reminding them, because if you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so often, who did the people blame for bringing them out? They didn't blame God. No. They go, Moses, you brought us out yeah, of okay. Egypt. Moses, you brought us into the middle of this. Moses, you brought us out here where we're yeah, starving. You know, the people kept forgetting that God was the one who did it. Now, we do the same thing in our life. You know, you know we will blame others. We'll blame ourselves. Or we'll turn around and say, God, it's your fault. You know, if we're really, you know. But God is saying, no, most of what you've done is you haven't listened to me and you've gone your own way. Okay. And also God will say, well, I've got a plan. Even though these bad things are happening to you, I've got a plan. Did the Israelites know why they were going through all of this? Why was the water bitter at Meribah so that God could put a picture of Jesus? No, nope, they didn't understand it. Did they understand why God put, you know, gave them the food and the manna so that they would be an example of him feeding and, and, and reaching? No. Did they, you know, all these things they went through that we use as pictures, did they understand when God put them in a place with, and because of their their sin and sent the, the snakes in to bite them and, and they put the, 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 the brazen serpent up on the, on the pole and all they had to do was look at it, which again was a picture of Jesus being lifted up mm -hmm. and just have faith enough to look at him and, you're, and you would be healed. No, they didn't understand any of the pictures that were coming, coming from this. Well, now I see that since I asked the, the question. But no, I, I've always, you know, that bothered me. Why? Well, the people know he brought them out. But they kept but forgetting. They kept thinking, well, why did, now that I remember them blaming Moses, well, you brought us out here to start to death. We have no food, we have no water, yeah. and we could have done better there. And, and then they, he's always saying, remember, yeah, I'm Remember that I'm the one that did it. Remember, I'm the one that did it. You know, same thing that Joseph came up, remembering that God was the one that put him through all this. He told his brothers, you did this out of jealousy, but it was really God who put me here to save you. Joseph is a really great example of Jesus because he looked beyond all the bad that happened to him and said, this was planned. God put me here so that my family could be saved. 
amazing faith that Joseph had. I mean, Joseph's such a beautiful picture of Jesus that it's an amazing thing, and yet he did not know, you know, what he was being used as a picture of. And so, yes, God is saying, remember, I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that allowed this to happen. I'm the one that, that has done everything for you. And we need to keep that same mentality all the time. Uh, verse 11, but, <laughs> remember I say, when you see but there, you're, something's changing. But my people would not hearken unto my voice. Israel would have none to do with me. This is a pretty serious charge. Israel would not be willing or consent to have God rule over them. And they kept doing this over and over and over again. And he's saying, they rejected me. You have rejected me. And this is Asaph writing this song that Israel had rejected. And it says in verse 12, So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Gave them up into the innermost desires that they had. And we see that Israel did that. You know, when you read the book of Judges, up and down, back and forth, and you know, they would do what they wanted to do, they would get judged, they would cry out to God finally, they would be delivered, and then they'd, after, the deliver, after that judge's rule was done, they'd go do what they thought was good in their own eyes, and they would be judged. And we see that all through their history, that they've been doing that up and down, depending on who led them. And God says, I just, I'm willing to give them. I've given up on them. They, they, they can do what they want. When they come to me, I'll pay attention, but I'm not going to. I'm giving them up. And you know, God has done that with different individuals. If somebody doesn't want to come to God, he gives, he gives them up to go down to the bottom of their, the pit of what they can go through. Sometimes that's hard on, on a parent who watches their child descending into the pit because they want to keep them from being hurt. They want to try to protect them. And sometimes we just need to let that child hit rock bottom and, and let God get hold of their heart. Is that easy to do? Absolutely not. You're in pain. You don't want your child to suffer. And yet, God with his, the children of Israel said, I've given them over to their, they don't want anything to do with me. They can do, I'm going to let them do what they want. And verse 3, it says, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and that Israel had walked in my ways. I've given them over to their lust. They're, they're walking in their own counsel. They're making bad decisions. They're suffering because of their bad decisions. Oh, that they had walked after me. And, God, and this is God's heart. I'm letting them do what they want, but man, I just wish that they had followed me, that they had honored me, that they had continued to walk in my ways and listen to what I would want them to do. Walking with God is such an easy path, and yet Israel's choosing the hard way. <laughs> Having to go crashing down to the bottom, bouncing, bouncing around along the bottom of the, bottom of the pit, and, and finally coming back to God, but not even coming back to him with a whole heart and a desire to truly worship him. And he's saying, oh, please. And here's what God said. If they had walked in his ways, I would have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. Israel didn't have to go into captivity if they had just followed God. Israel didn't have to be, be judged and, and have judges, you know, multiple judges over all those years. Didn't have to go into captivity. Does, really does not have to if they would honor God. 
face the tribulation period other, th other than the fact that God knows that they won't. And the tribulation period where they're going to be subject to the Antichrist and then sought out to be killed and, and most of them will be killed other than the remnant God protects. He's waiting there. He wants to deliver them if they would just listen to his voice. Same thing in our life. If we would just listen to God's voice and live his way, we wouldn't have to go through half of what we go through so that he could get our attention. Sometimes God has to work real hard to get our attention and knock us down, put us through hard trials you know, to get us to just pay attention. All right, verse 15. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have been endured forever. The haters of the Lord, if they had just submitted, they would have been blessed. And this is a thing we really want to begin to understand. People who are against God are going to be judged. Those that are against God's people will be judged for their actions. And God will get hold of them. And sometimes they get judged in a very harsh way because of their, their, how strong they're against God. And God is going to do what it takes to try to grab their attention. And that may mean taking away the family members' lives or putting them in prison or whatever it might be. God will discipline. Ultimately, if they don't come to him, their last final result is that they go to hell because of their and that really will hurt because that is the ultimate charge of they will not come to him and correct their lives and then the last blessing he says that the, the Israel is lost he would have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with the honey out of the rock should he have satisfied them you know God has ultimate blessings he wants to bless us and we need to really understand God wants to bless his children. He wants to bless his people. And, you know, it's kind of sad sometimes when we think of, well, you know, God, you know, we get this picture of God being this very stingy person using an eyedropper to give you the blessings, you know. Here, here I'm going to give you this tiny bit. We don't want you to be really happy. We don't want you to really be, you know, satisfied. But you know, God wants to satisfy us. He wants to give us great things. Usually it's us that don't want to accept it because we don't think we're worthy of it. We don't think we deserve it. And we don't, except by the grace of God. And because of his grace, he gives us everything in superabundance. We have him in us. I mean, that alone is a great blessing. But he is there wanting to give us magnificent blessings. And we kind of go, well, God, you know, you just keep it. I'm not, not really interested. And yet he's, he's wanting to. And I think it makes him greatly sorrowful when we kind of reject or don't accept a lot of his blessings because we don't feel we deserve it or something or whatever reason it is that we reject. And God is saying, I just wanted to pour out my blessings on you. And we go, God, I just want the dropper. I just want the eyedropper full, you know, for, you know, don't, don't give me all that you want to bless me. And, and God's kind enough. That if we don't want the blessings, he's not going to make us handle the blessings. But here he said, you know, if they had just honored me, if they had just followed me, if they had just submitted themselves to me, I would have given them the best. They would have been, feed, they would have been feeding on the, the best of the wheat and the, and, the, and the honey from the rocks. 
and he just wanted to satisfy them or satiate them, make them totally full. Not overly full, but totally full. And God is saying, I'm wanting to bless. And so this is something we want to keep in mind. God wants to bless. He wants to honor us. He wants to keep us. He wants to give us good things because he loves us. You know, he's given us salvation to start with. I mean, what more gift could he give us? And then, you know, that, should, that would be really enough in one sense. I get to go to heaven. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, I want to give you great blessings while you're work, walking on the world. And if that's not enough, I'm building this mansion for you to spend eternity with and you're going to have great reward for eternity. And if that's not enough, you're going to have rule with me through all of eternity. And walk on streets of gold. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> no. John 14. So. Every day is a gift from God. You know, when you, when you think about what God's looking to give you, and this will be the last thing, it's kind of like watching the, the late, those late, late night infomercials. But wait, there's more! <laughs> Now, but wait, there's more. And Jesus is there saying, but wait, there's more. Everything that we can think of, he's going, but there's more. How much do you want? There's more. He's giving us, by his grace, all the riches of heaven for eternity. Now, that is just an amazing thought when we think about it. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We thank you that you are, that we see you in every part of the Old Testament, that you are the one who loves us, that wants to reward us, that wants to give us good gifts. Help us to learn to just be able to see those gifts and to accept them, to, to submit ourselves more and more to you and, and receive those gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.